Like millions of you, this past weekend I saw a horrible video of police brutality that emerged out of Phoenix. Now I've read all the police reports, I've studied all the videos, and I want to unpack and explain why justice is so hard to come by in cases like this. Like you, I've called for the police officers to be fired, but it's more complex than you think. Now the injustice is clear, but the path to justice itself is very murky. Let me tell you why. Let's dig in. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The the, the, the Breakdown. The the, the, the Breakdown. On Monday, May 27th, a young black couple, Drayvon, who's 22, and his fiancée, Aisha, who's 24 and visibly pregnant, They went to a family dollar store in Phoenix, Arizona, and they took their four-year-old daughter and their one-year-old baby inside of the store. And when they left the store, their four-year-old daughter walked out of that dollar store with a Barbie doll. She didn't pay for it. Of course, four-year-olds don't pay for Barbies. Nobody paid for the Barbie. And every single parent has had something like this happen before. And here's the thing. Criminally, by law, Four-year-old children are not capable of theft. They don't understand economics. They don't understand price points or ownership or criminal codes or ethics or social responsibility. Every parent has had a young child walk out of a store with something they didn't pay for. I've had it happen in my own family. But when the Phoenix police were called, they didn't treat this case like they should have, which was a case of petty theft. At the most, we're talking about a very minor misdemeanor. We're talking about under $50 of merchandise that was taken. Instead, they treated the call like it was a strong armed robbery, like guns were involved, like people's lives were in danger. They treated that Barbie doll like the nuclear codes had just been stolen from the president of the United States. I think I understand why. I've read the reports. The police, here's the thing. The police knew that it was a Barbie doll that was stolen. They knew the car that was on the scene. They knew the car was full of children. And they also knew one fact that I believe made all the difference in the world. They knew they were looking for a black family. And here's what I know. And I believe it's what every reasonable person listening to this podcast knows. No white family from any zip code, from any background, from any social status, no white family with little kids who took a Barbie would ever be treated the way this young family was just treated. From the moment the police arrived until the moment these young parents were handcuffed and assaulted, having their baby snatched away. These police were belligerent. They were vulgar. They were violent. They were crass and completely out of control. I've watched the video with a few different people, and some wondered if the officers were having what we call roid rage. Studies show that more police officers use illegal steroids than any other profession in America. And the steroids often cause people to scream and yell out like out-of-control maniacs. And it was so outrageous 
The entire arrest was so outrageous. Police were threatening to shoot the parents in the head and killing them. Shooting them and killing them. Straight away. It was so extreme. The nature of the arrest was so extreme that that's really what caused the video to go super viral. It, I, I thought about this. This may very well be the most extreme, most angry, most out-of-control, non-lethal arrest I've ever seen. And I've seen thousands of arrests. It was 107 degrees outside. The concrete was probably 130, 140 degrees. It was baking hot outside. And the police are trying to rip a one-year-old baby from the mother's arms, demanding that she sit the baby, who she explains to them cannot walk. She explains to them that she's pregnant, the baby cannot walk. They are insisting that she sits the baby down on the scorching hot concrete so that she can be arrested. Now, many of you have seen it. Before a moment, just for a moment, I want you to hear it without the visuals, just for us to give color and nuance on how utterly outrageous this entire arrest truly was. Listen for a moment. screaming and hollering at her. He didn't have to come at her like that, man. That's ridiculous. Even listening to the audio is just so painful. It's so outrageous, so ridiculous. And there was a line at the end of one of the police reports, and it's something that one of the officers on the scene documented. And I just want to read the line to you. It says, quote, I retrieved and secured the Barbie box from the back seat of the vehicle, end of quote. 
I retrieved and secured the Barbie box from the back seat of the vehicle. Really? That's what you did all this for? You retrieved and secured the Barbie box from the back seat of the vehicle? And guess what? After they did all of that, guess what happened? They couldn't even arrest Drayvon or Aisha. They didn't even file charges. The dollar store didn't even want charges to be filed. All of that was for sport. The officers, of course, told the same lies they always tell. They said they were afraid for their lives, afraid that Drayvon and Aisha had guns. But again, all of that is code for the fear of blackness itself. Most police officers in America are not shot by people that look like Drayvon or Aisha. Most police officers are shot and killed by white men. I've documented this and studied it over and over and over again. Police officers from coast to coast continue to be shot and killed by white men. But when they approach a black family with children in the car and a Barbie box in the back seat, you think Drayvon and Aisha are about to kill you over this Barbie with their babies in the car? See, listen, American police have effectively weaponized blackness itself because none of this, none of it would have happened with a young white family over a Barbie doll. And so the mayor of Phoenix apologized and the chief of police kind of apologized. But yesterday, Drayvon and Aisha said what we wish we'd hear more often. They said they weren't accepting the apologies. And I get it. I understand it. Drayvon and Aisha said the apologies were hollow. First, the apologies weren't made to them. They were just made publicly on television, on social media. They said nobody called them or reached out to them. They said the apologies were hollow because an apology without a termination or without consequences, an apology to them means nothing. And they're right. I completely agree with them, but I need to break something down for us to explain exactly why it's so outrageously difficult to fire these officers. Let me break it down. Break it down. Police officers are among the most difficult people to fire in all of America. Even when they openly violate policy, they're difficult to terminate. Even when they've clearly done wrong, and it took me years and years to understand why. And it's easy for us to go to racism, and to a degree that's true, or white supremacy or, or systemic inequality, and all these things play a role. But mayors and city councils and other city leaders, they don't like to talk about the real reason why it's so difficult to fire or terminate police officers for misconduct. It's really a dirty little secret. Now, here's the thing. The United States has 17,985 police departments. That's the most of any country in the world. And each of those police departments, all 17,985 of them, they've all created complex contract agreements and union agreements with the cities and counties that they serve in. And those contracts, by and large, in most cities and counties, I would say, there are nearly 18,000 contracts. I'd say 17,700 of them are completely ridiculous. 
Those contracts are literally the most ridiculous contracts of any profession in the nation. They give police almost complete autonomy from any real supervision. They give police the power to investigate themselves for misconduct. They can only fire themselves according to most police contracts. Misconduct records are almost always sealed from outside view. Investigations are allowed to take years and years and years. Some police contracts literally have an open-ended deadline for how long police are allowed to investigate themselves. But then those same departments often have in their contracts that employees can only be fired within a certain period of time from when misconduct takes place. So the investigations can take forever, but the terminations can only take place within a certain period of time. They are the worst negotiated contracts and do more to protect bad police, violent police, to protect corrupt cops, racist and bigoted and sexist cops. They do more to protect them than any person in any other profession in the nation. And just as we need to elect new district attorneys, county by county, city by city, we have to review and renegotiate each of these 17,985 contracts because they are at the root. They are the foundation. They are ground zero, the starting point of why police, just like the officers in this clear case of misconduct in Phoenix, any person who looks at this case in Phoenix will tell you that what they see is wrong and that the people involved should be fired immediately. Any reasonable person would say that. But guess what? They can't be fired immediately because it doesn't allow such a thing to happen. Where? In their contract. And that's what needs to change, and it's what needs to change right away. Now, that's not going to help this particular family because in the Phoenix police contract, There has to be a certain period of time and a certain investigation. And what we've seen, even right here where I'm recording this in New York City, what we've seen in New York is that Eric Garner was literally murdered five years ago. It was videotaped. The video went viral five years ago, and it's still under investigation. Again, Because the police contracts are so bad that they protect even the worst police among them. And in the months ahead, we're going to announce and build a new institute on police misconduct. And it's going to begin doing this type of hard work where we not only lay out the worst police contracts of them all, but give us action steps on how we can renegotiate those contracts city by city and county by county. And I can't wait to tell you more about it because right now lawsuits are basically our only consistent recourse in this family. They're suing the city of Phoenix for $10 million as they should. But what we've seen across the country is that cities are always willing to write those checks with our tax dollars. I might add, Cities are willing to write those checks. New York City alone has paid out billions of dollars. That's billions with a B. The city of Chicago has paid out over a billion dollars 
to, to police misconduct just over the past 10 years. And cities are willing to pay this out without ever addressing the underlying policies that caused the misconduct in the first place. And here's the thing, and I'll close with this thought. We have to fight hard. Yes, we can share the videos and share the cases and express our outrage. We should support the families. They should win their lawsuits. We have to fight hard, but we have to fight smart, and we have to organize deeply so that we can finally start to have some victories. Break it down. Break it down. Thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. We appreciate your support. And we really, really, really want you to subscribe to this podcast because we're going to be right back here every single weekday breaking down important news stories and issues. We have action steps that we want you to take. And we'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast apps like Apple Podcasts or Spotify because we're trying to get to 100,000 subscribers and we're just not going to get there without you. Have you left a review yet? Because on Apple Podcasts, we're almost at 9,000 five-star reviews, but we're aiming for 10,000, so we still want to hear from you. So please leave your best review when you get some time. Of course, thank you to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love and appreciate each of you so very much. And if you love this podcast and you want to support our work or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you'd consider becoming a founding member of our community at thenorthstar.com. There we not only have all of our podcasts, but hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers and journalists in the world. Lastly, I want to give a shout out to our associate producer, Lissandra, and the entire team, including our podcasting director and senior producer, Willis. Shout out to, to Keisha, to Jeff, to Richard and others for their hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody. Break it down.